Welcome to the Town & Country Podcast, two churches, one ministry. Thank you for joining us on this beautiful day here in Cedar Falls. I am your host, Jonathan Illion, and welcome to this edition of the podcast. In this episode, we have returning to join us Pastor Kevin Richter, who is the pastor at St. John's Lutheran Church in Rhinebeck, Iowa, and Reverend Dr. Gerald Kapanka, who is the pastor at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Cedar Falls, Iowa. Last week, we continued our series on the Minor Prophets. For this week, our pastors are focusing on the book of Nahum, so this is a summary of how they came to an agreement of what they would include in their sermons. What you're going to hear is more about the process of how they constructed their outline and the basis for their sermons, which will be preached on Sunday, March 3rd. One thing that is a little bit different about this particular podcast is the length. There was so much good material that it was impossible for me to cut it down without losing a sense of what the sermons will be about. So what I did was I broke the podcast into two separate episodes. For those of you who are listening on Podbean or wherever you get your audio podcasts, there will be two separate episodes for you to listen to. For those who are watching on Facebook or YouTube, we did keep it all together so you can listen to it in its entirety. We just wanted it to be manageable regarding the length of time, so we wanted to give you that heads up. So without further delay, I give you Pastor Kapenka and Pastor Richter discussing the book of Nahum. The general thought, the theme is God is jealous. He's an avenging God. He's avenging uh, Nineveh and really the Assyrians for their vicious, uh, brutal nature of what they've done to the northern kingdom and their attack on the southern kingdom. And what, I think like the some of the stuff I read or watched was it really starts kind of against all of Assyria. Yeah. And then it pinpoints specifically against the capital of Nineveh. Nineveh, yeah. And then, um, you know, kind of goes to the issue with Judah. It starts with the divine warrior, a partial acrostic poem of Yahweh's wrath and mercy. Yeah, so it's really the, yeah. really starts with doom and gloom. And then the future destruction of Nineveh, um, this whole thing with the lion's den, that's really interesting to think about when you get to chapter two. Yep. And the bloodshed and the sorcerer prostitute taunt. And uh, then it kind of ends with taunts. And so it's really, I mean, it's a lot of doom and gloom with very little gospel or promise. You know, you kind of have to pick out just a few select verses to find. It's almost a Rosso gospel handle, but I wanted to look at what it said for Christ in Nahum. When I was thinking about kind of the message that that he's proclaiming is... If you're the, the southern kingdom, if you're living in Judah at this time, you've seen the northern kingdom taken into captivity, you've seen what happened, um, and and you're looking at your own destruction, you're not strong enough, you're not big enough to ward off the attack of the Assyrians. Um, you, you feel persecuted, you feel like your, your doom and gloom is about to be upon you. Um, and along comes this prophet from God who says, I still have you. I still have your back. I'm still going to protect you. Now, he's not promising that they're not going to be taken into captivity because we know that, that they will be, but this exile for will come to an end. And and it's almost a, you know, 
trust me, have faith in me. It's, you know, put your, your hope in me. Um, even though it may seem dark at the moment, the light will shine. Um, and, and, you know, where's our parallel as we kind of process through life? You know, you know, there's, there are times in our, um, as we walk in the way of the Lord that, you know, it just seems like, you know, in the church today, you know, the church is under attack. Um, maybe on a personal level, we feel like every time we get, you know, two steps forward, we get tripped up and we get pushed back or, you know, we start to get our life together and, you know, something else goes wrong, you know, and, you know, just this idea that, you know, feel like, you know, nothing can go good and God is saying, but I'm still there with you. So I think you can find a parallel that with Nahum, um, in, in what he was saying. I don't know. What do you, what do you think of something like that as a, as yeah, a journey? Yeah. It's a good starting place. You get that line in 15, you know, upon the mountains are the feet who, you know, make good news and bring peace. The the Lord fights for those who take refuge in him. Yeah, you know, here it says, this is how Nahum understands the gospel. He refutes the idea that Yahweh is powerless in the face of Assyrian atrocities. Nineveh's destruction announces the gospel that includes Yahweh's just rule. So Matthew will sum this up in the preaching and ministry of Jesus with the formula of the gospel of the kingdom. And in Jesus' ministry, God's end-time gospel reign is now active. This is very good news because all enemies of the kingdom, as typified by Nineveh, will one day be placed under Christ's feet. So, yeah, that it looks like God's people are losing, which, of course, in the yeah. Old Testament always associates yeah. to your God versus my God, and it looks like your God is winning. But the good news is we know our God wins, and God is allowing their them to win this war for the greater, you know, win this battle for the greater war at hand, and the day will come. So this says that Nahum 1, 7 to 8, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him, but with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. This is the central theme of the book. These verses state, Yahweh is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him, but with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. You can almost hear Luther's A Mighty Fortress well, in the yeah. Psalm 46. It, you know, the Lord is a fortress and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. And the, the whole theme of the book is very much military. You know, yeah, it, it, a militant. It's, it's describing a battle of the siege of the going in and conquering of doing these things. Um, on behalf of those who have been oppressed, on behalf of those who are under siege. Right, those who remain faithful to the Lord, that He is, He's got our, our, He's our defense and our, our strength in that time. Yeah, he so he goes, you know, to Revelation. I saw heaven staying open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice, he makes, he judges and makes war. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. You know, and so this idea of this is not your loving shepherd carrying a baby right. sheep home. Yeah, which is contrary to so much of what we see in today's kind of idea of God right. is God is this grandfather, this this great you know, God would never punish or hurt anyone for anything. Our God is this this great big, you know, teddy bear. You know, our God is a mighty warrior against those who oppress his people. And one of the things this probably speaks out directly against is universalism. Yeah. That oh, you yeah, know, God is thought. love. And so at the end, he's just gonna bring everybody home because he can't stand to send them to hell. I mean, here we get an image of Jesus' blood dripping off him from being the mighty warrior slaying the enemies that, you know, if you're not with him, you're against him, you know. And uh, 
kind of almost the reversal of those who aren't against us are for us. Well, those who aren't for us are against us, you know, and, and, uh, this idea that, you know, our God is a God of wrath. Our God is a God who's going to punish those enemies of his people and, and those who reject him and don't want him, you know, it's not just a passive sending to hell. Okay. Be gone. It's, it's a, a military battle against the enemy. Yeah. And it's, and it's in a, in one sense, I think we have to be careful because we don't want our people to see other non-Christians as the enemy. You know, we no. do not fight against flesh and blood. But Christ's wrath, you know, vengeance be mine, does impact flesh and blood. And and we have the ultimate victory. And I think that's that's the end that we have, that while it may seem like the, the Satan is ruling the world and, and the world is going to hell in a handbasket, you know, we know that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, right. that the kingdom is ours forever. I almost hear a, a remnant or a, a, a hint of um, the, the last of the Beatitudes with Matthew 5, 11 and 12, you know, a blessed are those when you are persecuted, when, when they call you all kinds of names, you know, for they did it unto me when you're blessed. But in the end, that blessed is the one who's the, the blood of the lamb has conquered this conquering hero. Well, and we were just talking about this in Bible study this morning because of Philippians um, 1. Do not be frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. You know, that when we stand firm in our faith, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of being oppressed, it just, not only does that, like, yes, we believe this, but it tells them, you can do whatever you want to me. You've already lost the war. You know, you're headed yeah. for destruction. Yeah. I'm headed for salvation. So do what you want to me. I don't care. Right. I'm going to stand firm in my trust in God and you can't take that away from me, you know? And, and, uh, but again, we, we brought that too. Why doesn't God just smite them right here, right now? You know, because the very next part is, you know, um, it, oh, we, we flipped to a different one, but it talked about that, you know, God will get vengeance when Christ comes again. You know, and it's like, why doesn't God just smite our enemies right here, right now? Why doesn't he just take them away? Well, because it brings out this idea of love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. There's still time. Right. You know, if they are, you know, look at Saul, persecutor of the church, murderers of Christian, and then coming to one of the greatest apostles ever who writes uh, half the New Testament, you know. And so as long as there's still time, we still hope that they are no longer our enemies and with us, kind of back to our Obadiah theme. But, you know, that we, we really want, we, we pray for those, we love those, but we stand firm in our faith amidst persecution, and all of it hinges on Christ has the victory. And you could tie this to, to Nineveh specifically, and the fact that God sent Jonah there the first time. And they did repent. For repentance. I mean, he, he desires not their destruction, or he wouldn't have sent Jonah there the first time. Jonah went there with the message of repent, and they heard, you know, that was his passion. Now, a hundred years later, they turned back to their old sinful ways and now he promises the destruction. So yeah, that patient, that, that long suffering for those that he created his children and yet he's just in his, his judgment. So kind of, yeah, slow to anger, but yeah. abounding in steadfast Ste- love. Wait, but, you, did you write that? Cause that's a really you know, good line. I would use Psalms, that. You know, I love the oh. Psalms, but, um, <laughs> but then this idea that we can't push that too far, you know, that, that doesn't mean he doesn't have anger. Right. That doesn't mean he doesn't That's not have a universalism. Wrath. Right. He slow. He's slow there, but it is coming. Yeah. There is an anger. There is a judgment day coming. And so, you know, I mean, we take Nineveh or Nahum's outline. You address all the enemies. You narrow it down to one specific enemy. 
and then you bring about the restoration you know and so you have this large doom specific doom but then the hope for those who are going to be saved from that doom and luther when you know i i read a little bit on luther and nahum this morning because i did my pre-work good job for you <laughs> i just need that pat on the back <laughs> this is the only time i've actually done the pre-work um he says the entire uh, prophet nahum is a prophet of faith because the fact that god stands for his people he's standing for those who trust in him in faith because it's by faith that we put our hope even when we see the world around us is collapsing when we see you know destruction when we see it looks like all of the Ninevehs in our life are are against us we still trust in the god and it's by faith that we have it so we tie in that whole element it's not just our our um, blind will but it's that by faith we trust him as god and and that's how we receive christ right right and i mean that's what to go to romans 5 we rejoice not just in our you know peace with the father we rejoice in our suffering why because exactly, suffering yeah. produces endurance which endurance produces character and character produces hope you know and hope will not put us to shame that oh, how could we dare stand in the face of an enemy who hates us and wants to kill us and love them and pray for them because there's nothing they can do to us you know do not fear the one yeah. who can harm the body fear the one who can harm the body and soul that you know like god's got our body and soul in eternity in christ we believe that and that faith is what allows us to rejoice in suffering what allows us to love our enemies what allows us to pray for those who are persecuting us not pray hey god smite them but pray god turn their hearts god bring them to the victory i have we heard those words from the cross father forgive them right we heard that from from stephen you know the lord forgive them even as they were stoning him to death and and that sole idea that you know you may destroy this body but my faith is in the one who's already has the victory that's that final restoration that that awaits all of us and that you know really our faith is in that what's already been done you know so yeah we our faith is you can kill me but i'm going to live forever and how can i be so sure they killed christ and he lives forever and i'm in him you know that we're solidified and then it's just ephesians ringing in my head of in christ in christ you know and so um so yeah, that's a whole lot of stuff. What are we gonna do with I that? I was just now? gonna say you know, we we've got a lot here that there's there's more than than a, a fifteen or twenty minute sermon here. So how do we take that and yeah. uh, you know we've deconstructed or reconstructed it? And we've got to try to put that in a in a message. So, so I mean, what's our our uh, kind detailed of, outline? Well, kind of one of uh, you know like to start with focus function. You know what's our main theme? You know God's judgment is real. And I'm I'm not proposing this as the the focus. I'm just talking out loud still. But yeah. you know, God's judgment is real, and it's two sided. That He will protect and rescue those who believe in Him. You know, they they will see the rescue from all their enemies. But for all those enemies, it's not just going to be a oh you're forgiven, come on in universal. It's going to be death and wrath and eternal death and and doom and gloom. You know, and so in that you know that we receive the victory, they receive the wrath. But that that judgment day has been postponed or put off, waiting for them, you know, as so as many as possible can join us, you know. I think in in that that theme that you're talking about, specific to Nahum, we have to talk about judge, God's judgment is real to the enemies of God's people because yes. that's that's unique to Nahum. Right. I mean, we know it universal, but you know, to the enemies of God's people. And I mean, again, I'm going to take us off on something that. <laughs> isn't going to probably fit in the timeline, but just to think about every avenue, 
again, God used the Assyrians. You know, the yeah. Assyrians didn't come conquer Israel because God wasn't paying attention and they just slipped in and got one in on him. God yeah. intentionally chose them to be the ones to humble his people and test them to bring about the remnant who will be faithful to him. You know, and so even the enemies of God's people are being used by God, you know, and this I think of meditatio, ratio, tentatio, where, you know, Satan is using temptation to try to pull us away, but God uses it to actually bring us right back to prayer and meditation. And Luther says, God makes the devil the fool, you know, that, that, uh, he, what he's trying to do to destroy us, God is actually using to strengthen us and build us and bring us back, you know? And so, um, God will have vengeance on the enemy of his people, even though he's the one allowing the enemy to come attack and persecute them. And that goes to our, on a personal level, you know, when we talk about, you know, when I am weakest, that's when I'm strong, uh, strongest, because that's when I depend on God for my faith. It's not about me, which is that same thing in application. So if we, I got Isaiah ringing in my head, I got all kinds of stuff here, but, you know, if we think about people in our world, that are yeah. hostile to the church and, and uh, uh, just opposed to, you know, atheists, you know, whatever you want to, what group you want to put in there. God is using them because the more the atheists attack us and show us the contradictions of our faith, the more we have to search scripture to have the answers and be confident. And this is what we believe is truth. You know, yeah. heretics have always been good for the church because it forces them to really say, Yes, this is what we believe in. So the very ones who are trying to attack and tear us down are actually making us stronger. And yet God's not just going to let them get away with it either. You know that. um, And so there's kind of this dual nature of. Until Judgment Day, we we are praying and hoping our enemies find the truth, see the faith we have and, and come join us. But if they don't they'll still get what they deserve. You know, they, God will get the last word no matter what. And as we said with, uh, uh, where was it? We weep for those who will be judged. Right. It's, it's not that we were, hey, that we finally got what they deserve and they, you know, we're celebrating their, their defeat. We mourn for those because they're still also, you know, there but the grace of God go any one of us. So what if we just start with, you know, verse 7 and 8 are the theme, according to the book. Mm-hmm. Um what if we just start with those first four words, the Lord is good. And then we talk about his goodness on both sides. His goodness to us is he protects us. He is the stronghold in the day of trouble. He will rescue us. He's already given us the victory in Christ. He's given us that assurance of life after death, of you know the victory to come. So that is good. And he knows those who take refuge in him. But then, you know, verse 8, but with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and he will pursue his enemies in the darkness. Isn't that also the Lord being good? That his goodness is to bring wrath to those who are opposed against him. I, I, I know what you're saying. I'm hesitant to call that goodness because... It, it almost sounds like we can celebrate their defeat and their loss. I, I know it's justice. It's yes. right. But I, 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 I'm a, I, I just don't like using the word goodness with that. You know what I'm saying? Because um, you're, you're a coward. No, I'm just I, kidding. I, I, I am. Um, it, it is the Lord's right to do that. But I think the Lord celebrates the death of no man. And I don't want to talk about the, you know, that 
that judgment against something as good, you know, because the Lord weeps even for those who, who he has to judge. Correct, and I get that too, but I do think so, it's still good that those who are adamantly opposed against him, that he doesn't just change, you know, this this justice yeah. that, you know, and this that There is a judgment, there is yes. a condemnation, but I, I we, just We think, have to have that. I'm not as comfortable calling it good. Okay. Yeah, that, you know what I'm saying? I, that just makes me... Uh, queasy <laughs> the, the only way i could see because i don't want i don't want our people to yeah start like cheering against the enemies again yeah. our war is not flesh and blood um, um but i but i could see that you know i mean back to our college philosophy class he just asked what is good you know what's the definition of good and it's anything god does now and, that might be and yeah, so if, even, now if we use that as a definition and we define that then i could go with that and right. then we make sure that we make that clear that when we're talking good, we're not talking good the way you and I would define it. Right. When I talk good, I'm talking about cherry chocolate cake, you know, yeah. and, and ice cream. Make with, me with, feel warm yeah. and fuzzy. Right. No, good and is. And we need to define good. It's absolutely necessary. You know, it's, right. it's the right thing to do. Then if and we do that, then then I'd be real co- more comfortable with be, kind of going in that direction. Because the Lord would not be good if he was a universalist. You know, the Lord would yeah. not be good if he didn't have wrath. The Lord would yes. not be good if he didn't punish those who adamantly oppose him and our enemies of him you know that yeah um even in his judgment we see his goodness in that sense of his divine nature of who he is as god you know and and the justice and so because there is a part of us that wants vengeance you know there is a part of us that wants those who have made our lives miserable or you know to use the phrase a living hell yeah we want them to see hell you know and that there is some truth in that, that if they do not come to believe, that's where they're headed. Now, th- again, that doesn't cause us to celebrate and say, good, I'm glad they're going there. That causes us to say, I don't want them to go there, so join our side. And no, I don't I don't want to portray the picture of us cheering on the last day. I want us to, it's the last day to be a picture of us being rescued, us being safe, you know. But I, I still think we have to speak the truth in a world that doesn't hear it very often of, God's wrath is real. Yeah. There will be bloodshed. There will be, you know, chasing his, pursuing his enemies in the darkness. There's nowhere they're going to be able to hide to get away from him and escape his wrath. Like, yeah, I'm, I, I can go with that as long as we, we make sure we, we define good. what good is. It's not just you and I's definition of yes. good, um, but it's, you know, everything that God does is good by the very nature of God. Right. And we have to make that real clear. Yeah. Because otherwise, I think we leave with the impression with people that, you know, it's it's good that we see them suffer. You know, when when we see you know things like what's happening in Gaza, you know, and we see the civilians in in Gaza being, you know, dying as as you know collateral damage, we can say, well, that's good. You know, cheer for the, you know, it's too bad, but hey, it's good. You know, they're getting what they deserve. I I don't want us to go there. Right, and really, the goodness of that judgment and wrath is only seen in the second coming. You know that. That is the true judgment when he's going to, you know, because yeah. God is obviously not coming and making a complete end of our adversaries in this world. You know, that yeah. he He is not chasing them down in the darkness. He's letting them be out in the light. Heck, he's letting them run most governments in the world, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, why is that? Well, because there's still time. There's still yeah. ability to save them. But on that last day, when judgment time is here and time is up, it is his good, just, right, absolutely necessary divine nature 
that is going to bring that vengeance. And I mean, here you have to take God's word at God's word. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's Absolutely. not your job. That's my job. And we, we have to, all of us have to know that intimately because otherwise we'd have no reason to do missions. We have no right. reason to evangelize. You know, if we didn't fully believe that there is coming a judgment day where God's good will, it will be carried out. He will separate the sheep from the goats and the wheat from the chaff. We would simply say, hey, you know, do your own thing and we'll all meet in heaven someday. And I think the 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 terrible theology of universalism influences Christians in ways that they don't even realize to end up in apathy. You believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. And I don't really care if you're wrong because, heck, there's a chance you might be saved in the end anyways. And we have to destroy that way of thinking to see that it is absolutely necessary. It's good for me to offend them. It's good for me to go challenge them of if you don't believe like I believe and not like be like me, but you know, like if you don't have faith in Christ, you will not be saved, you know, in the end. And and I care too much about you. I love you too much right. to let that happen to you. So I am willing to challenge you. I am willing to cause you, you know, if you have that friend that every time you talk about church, they just get ruffled up and, you know, in a Hufflepuff, you in a what? In a Hufflepuff, you know, <laughs> Hufflepuff. <laughs> That's a new one. <laughs> um, you know, love builds up, knowledge puffs up, Hufflepuff. Yeah. You know? Hey, I like um, it. <laughs> I might borrow that for some time. <laughs> you, uh, you know, that's, it's not easy to go talk to that friend. It's not yeah. easy to build a relationship with them and say, I'm praying for you. I care for you. And it's easy to become, well, if that's what they want, I'll just let them have it. Yeah. Well, you know, they're choosing eternal death. So, you know, they're choosing a complete end because they have made themselves an adversary to God. And I don't want that, you know? So back to our, our outline. Okay. And I think, I think we're on, on the same page here. You know, if the overall theme is the Lord is good, right? He's good to us as there are two main points. He's good to our enemies, but we, you know, if that would be a second point, but then we have to define what good to our enemies looks like. Well, and I, I think, you would know, that like, be a, we could still say he's good to our enemies and that would be is where we'd bring in slow to anger about right. steadfast right. love. And then the kind of two a or, or th- yeah. point three would be, he is good in his wrath, you know, that, and there's where we have to really clearly define good. And so I think we could start by defining good, you know, what, what is good? Um, yeah. And then talk about all the ways God is good to us. He is our strong, you know, stronghold in day of trouble. He does rescue us. But then also, he is good to our enemies. This destruction that he's talking about is foretold. They have the warning that this is coming. He's already went to Nineveh once and sent a prophet to proclaim the truth to them. Like, he has tried and tried and tried again. And that's where we can bring in our attitude is, until Judgment Day, we keep trying. You know, we keep going. And then the final good is his wrath is good because it is absolutely necessary. There is no such thing as universalism. We have to get that completely out of our head. He is good in his wrath or he's good in his judgment? Good in his judgment. I like that better. Yeah. Yeah. So this concludes part one of our podcast on the book of Nahum. If you wish, you can go ahead and move on to part two of our podcast, or you can listen to it later. In any case, we thank you for choosing to join us for the Town and Country podcast, Two Churches, One Ministry. Please come back again and listen to part two of our podcast on Nahum, and we will see you then.